Hey, it's Sarah and Kristen. Yay, you're back for another episode of the Into the Wee Hours podcast. Or maybe this is your first time listening. Either way, we are so grateful you are choosing to share your precious time with us. Before we kick off, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land and sea where this podcast is being recorded on, the land of the Gubby Gubby people of the Sunshine Coast. We pay respect to their elders past, present, and those emerging. As we've mentioned in previous episodes, we have started a Patreon account. Podcasting doesn't come without its own monthly and one-off costs, and we are currently saving up to buy another microphone so that we can interview some awesome couples who we'd love to share with you. With that in mind, every little contribution makes a huge difference to us and to the sustainability of the show. Even if it's just a gold coin donation each month, we would be so stoked to have you as a patron. It's pretty easy to find and sign up online at patreon.com forward slash into the wee hours podcast. And a huge shout out to our existing patrons. We love you. Okay, so in today's episode, we speak with a good friend of mine. She's central Queensland based Genevieve Birch. Genevieve and I met at a local shop ride on the Sunshine Coast when she was living here, and we've been on our fair share of rides together. As she shares with us, Genevieve's background is very much in music, both personally and professionally, as she currently works as an instrumental music teacher. Genevieve chats with us about how she came into adventure a little later on in life, diving straight into it with a huge multi-day guided hike in Kakadu National Park. She describes this experience as life-changing, and we have a really fun conversation around how this initial hike, inspired by a photo in a magazine in a remote Tassie pub, has led her to subsequently go on to so many adventures, including hiking, off-track bushwalking, and mountain biking, and a most recent exciting kayak trip with her partner Lars, just to name a few. Jen talks to us about her experiences of adventuring with her partner Lars and how to take the leap and just get out there. So if you're sitting at home waiting for the sign to give a new adventure or a challenge a go, this is your sign. We know you'll love this conversation with Genevieve. Cue the music with Kristen. Welcome to episode 22 of the Into the Wee Hours podcast. My name is Sarah Pendergrass and I am joined as always by my wonderful co-host Kristen Botton. <laughs> we are also joined today over Zoom um, by a good friend Genevieve Birch. Welcome. Hello. Yeah, it's so like, really nice to have you here. Yeah. I have, I have actually, I obviously know Sarah quite well, but I have also met Kristen. I've, I feel like I've met you a couple of times. Kristen. I think so yeah. too. Yeah. Cause I was asking Sarah, I get confused by all of Sarah's like vast amount of friends. I have like three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm pretty sure that I've met Genevieve before. We've had a conversation like on multiple occasions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was at your old house. Like when you first moved kind of into the Caloundra area and you had like that the grass that you had to like mow down and stuff yeah <laughs> I think that's exactly when it was yes so anyway nice to see you Genevieve I last saw you when I was in Longreach so nice to see you virtually now <laughs> that feels like yeah it's so good ago. 
Yeah, it does. It was because um, that would have been that was it was pretty late in the year because it was it was quite hot when you came out already. Yeah, because we went swimming in the river when you were here. So yeah, no, it was um, it was yeah, it was a thing. <laughs> yeah, Sarah did mention that you and Lars were both like excellent hosts. Like the story oh, of you, you guys picking her up <laughs> with an esky full of goodies that anybody who's been out in the blazing heat would have just dreamed of so yeah she gave you lots of credit (laughs) yeah no definitely um the sun here is next level it is it is very brutal so it's like I just when you were saying you're like it's just so hot I was like yeah no I know exactly what you mean (laughs) (laughs) so true and I hadn't had anything refrigerated or like anything nice at all so it was such a treat so thank you for that yeah I'm glad you enjoyed it (laughs) oh so much so all right so we're going to launch in with our in inverted commas quick fire questions which just get more and more protracted every week I feel (laughs) however let's see how we go today (sighs) okay so first question Genevieve, I know you are a listener, so you may be anticipating this. Pineapple on pizza, hells yeah or hells no? Hells yes! Yeah. <laughs> You're from Queensland. Sorry. So actually, out of that, if you actually had an interview Lars, he actually would have 100% been on Team Kristen. Ah, oh, okay. Oh, that's why I didn't yeah. invite Lars onto the podcast. Yes. <laughs> I'll have my screens ready. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Again, no, I definitely, Tom, definitely, yes. Tom, I'm holding out for you, mate. Like you and me, holding <laughs> strong. <laughs> All right. Now, I, we know that you've done quite a lot of camping and traveling and stuff that we'll obviously get into. Some of these quick fire mm-hmm. questions come from a place of us knowing you better than the listeners so far. Um, but Genevieve, what's your most memorable place you've ever camped? I would have to say... Oh, there's a couple. I think probably the ones, I guess, one of the ones that made just such an impression on me was um, in, it was actually in Lamington and it was at Echo Point, which I don't know if you can actually, if you can reach it on like the gazetted trails. I can't actually remember now, but I remember waking up in the morning and then it was like just as the sun was coming through like the Antarctic beaches there. And that was, there was like all that lichen hanging off it. And it just looks like a fairy forest. So that probably that one was a pretty good place to camp. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I love your description of it as well. It sounds amazing. All right. So next question, what are you currently reading? Ooh, um, I am, I go through stages. I can be a very like avid reader and then I can, I can just leave things alone as well because I do have a tendency if I start reading something I get consumed by it and then I look at the clock and it's like two o'clock in the morning so I try not to do that too much in term time <laughs> um I just read um a book called The Nowhere Child which was like a um like a true crime sort of thing um I actually don't know if it was a true crime I have no idea if it was a true story or not it was a good story though uh, <laughs> and then apart from that uh I, I also was reading a history of song I have a really bad tendency to not remember the titles of things because I read on a kindle and so because I don't see the title every time I pick up the book I just don't remember them but yes yeah yeah and um I've also so I, I had like that physical book because I was somebody loaned it to me and then I was also reading a like vampire fiction book because you know <laughs> 
why not? Oh, right? Yeah, then, <laughs> I love yeah. the mix. And the history of song. That, that's the one about birds, isn't it? And yeah, 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 yeah. I so have it sitting a, on my bookshelf. Yeah, it's so, it's actually really good. It's a very I I've like tried to incorporate more nonfiction reading into my regime sort of over the last couple of years, and that one was really good. It's really well written, but um, it's it's very informative as well, and I like that. So you know, nice, awesome. Um, now the next one is again a little bit preface because we well we know that you love being on your bike. Tell us about your dream bicycle. <laughs> <sighs> really hard because because like really (laughs) you can't just have like one bike you have to have multiple bikes I do wonder yeah I mean for my current I feel like my I feel like I even though I do like having multiple bikes I'm also very fairly utilitarian in my approach towards gear so I like things that can multitask so I have to say that if I was going to have a dream bike it would definitely be titanium um, and I think it would probably be one of the, um, so Sarah has obviously a Curve GMX Plus, is that right? Yeah, so they also were doing a, um, they also have a, a hard tail, which you can put a rigid fork or a um, suspension fork on. So I would probably have one of those. I think it's, a, it's an Uprock maybe it's called. Yeah, they're pretty, they're, pretty, they're pretty cool. So probably one of those, but, you know. For the time being, I have my Kroning unit. <laughs> I do, indeed. All right, next question is, you come across a genie. You have three wishes. What are your three wishes? I'm not going to lie. I gave this a fair bit of thought because I thought you might ask me this. <laughs> and all the other people gave such good answers that I was like, I can't, I can't let the team down. So <laughs> as I was thinking, I was, literally, this is keeping me up last night. Um, <laughs> So probably um, I, I, one of the things I thought was I was like I always wish I had a little bit more time. So I actually I actually you know I genuinely enjoy my job. So I have no enjo- I have like no desire to stop doing my job. So I feel like I would have the ability to create like extra little pockets of time for myself, so that I could still like fit in you know plenty enough sleep and like I like teaching, but also fitting in a little bit more bike riding and yoga and things like that as well. So I would have the ability to like change time would you and then like have specifically something like Hermione Granger did that Dumbledore gave no, her of being able to do two things at once or this is the specific of like just stretching out some time no no stretching it out okay, because that would cool. be just wanted to clarify yeah no that would be very stressful because you can't be seen and there's so many rules like, exactly industry of magic will come and get you too stressful um and probably to heal myself like you know, Wolverine style because yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't. It's actually I'm not ever worried. I know it sounds weird, but I'm not ever really that worried about injuring myself. It's more I, you'd know how long the recovery can take, and that's the that's the hard part. Um, so I would have the ability to heal myself. And last of all, I, this is I, I couldn't I couldn't think of another one. But as I was thinking about it today, I would have. I feel like I would make everybody stop believing flat earth theory because that's ridiculous. But like also simultaneously believe that climate change is real, that they would just accept it as a, as a fact. Excellent. Like that would be my third. 
Good job. Killed it. We're mixing Thank in you. some politics in there too. I love it. I know. You're welcome. <laughs> saucy already. All right. So the last one, again, it sounds like you've listened to a couple of episodes. You might know this one's coming. Uh, we had a psychologist on. We talked about gratitude being a bit more external, whereas self-compassion being more internal. So Genevieve, give yourself a compliment. It's so, it's so hard not to preface it with like a disclaimer. Don't preface uh, with a disclaimer. No, I know, I know. So <laughs> I, if, I have to say I think my strength in terms of adventure would be I will give pretty much anything a go. Yeah. Like it might not – it doesn't mean I'm going to be great at it, but I'll probably give it a go. Perfect. Yeah, like I'm, Perfect. I've tried lots of different things, so yeah. Yeah, I would support that. That is an awesome quality about you. Good choice. Mm-hmm. Love it. Excellent. You. you made it through. Yay. You made it. Done. <laughs> I know. I was and like, I tried to like rein it in a little bit. You, know, you did very well. Yeah, so yeah. It was. It, it was definitely more quick fire than some some people. <laughs> Matt, again, the entire episode was his quick fire questions. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So again, uh, we do like to open up the floor. You know, who is Genevieve? Um, so talk a little bit about you. Obviously, if, I don't know, the Wolverine could heal itself. So you know, potentially origin story behind there too. But anyways, opening up the floor for you for your origin story is as many or little words as you'd like. Okay. Um, so I came to like outdoor adventuring pretty late in life. Um, so my, my job, as I was saying, I'm a teacher. I'm actually an instrumental music teacher, which is about as far removed from you know, outdoor sort of stuff, as you can probably almost get. Um, I don't know. I think music so, has a place in the outdoors for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, so yeah, I, so I'm an instrumental music teacher. So I went off, to, I did, I studied a Bachelor of Music and a Bachelor of Education at uni. Um, and my main instrument is saxophone. Cool. And cool. Know, we, have to have, we have to have like a band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was a trumpet. <laughs> I cannot play yeah. trumpet. My chops are not trumpet approved at yeah. the moment. Yeah, it'd take a lot to get back to where I was. But yeah, yeah. I, I dabbled in my sister's saxophone. She put, played baritone because she just wanted to be the small chick that played the baritone saxophone. So she carried oh, around this so. humongous instrument. It was hilarious. Anyways, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to hijack so... it all about music. <laughs> That's like such a commitment though, because they are really heavy. So I actually, I actually did play baritone as well. Because um, so I played baritone with the um, University of Queensland big band while I was at Guinea for quite a few years after I left. And um, yeah, so I played baritone for a fair bit of that. So we actually, uh, the band is an amazing band. It's run by a guy called Clint Allen, and he's actually what my also like my music teaching mentor. But um, yeah, with the, the band is like it performs uh, like. Australian premieres and there's done a couple of world premieres of pieces and we actually toured to the States in 2016 I think yeah 2016 we actually toured to the States uh so obviously I didn't play with the band once um I moved to Longreach and also for a year or so before that I just just things were just it was very busy um and I also and then I also played tenor with the Queensland Wind Orchestra so yeah so I'm very much like I was very much a music like a bit of a nerdy music kid growing up like I would literally used to walk around reading a book like yeah so (laughs) um but yeah and so when I so I guess I got my start in the outdoors um I have subscribed to the Australian Conservation Foundation for a long time and um back in like 2012 or whatever so they used to put out this physical magazine 
um, called Earth Voice or something. And in it, they had, you know, stories about various conservation things that they were working on. But then they also had, it was also obviously supported by advertising. And so one of the things that they were advertising was this bushwalking company called Willis's Walkabouts. And I just remember seeing the picture. It was on the back. I, I remember it so clearly. It was like on the back cover of the magazine. And it was like people, it was like a high up shot. And it was like people like walking across like a, a rocky outcrop sort of thing. And the scenery is just beautiful. And I was like, I'm going to do that. Having never done even so much as a day hike. I was like, okay, this is it. I'm going to sign up to two weeks of walking off track in Kakadu. So, yeah, that was the first thing that I ever did really was two weeks of hiking in Kakadu. <laughs> Straight into it. Yeah, geez. Yeah. So, yeah. I'd say, yeah, I think my parents at the time, especially my mum, was like, okay, this seems, are you, are you sure? I was like, yeah, no, I'll be fine. <laughs> You went with a tour group, so, you're fine. Yeah, 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 it was cool. So it was like, so it's obvi- obviously is with the lead. It's actually really hard to walk in Kakadu um, off track and do multi-day walks because um, the national parks up there are run in conjunction with traditional owners, like the connection to country is really strong there. And um, so you have to, if you want to do a multi-day walk that are off track, you have to run it by parks and say, hey, is this um, is this itinerary suitable? And if it goes to near any sacred sites, like too close or whatever, they'll actually knock you back, but they won't actually tell you where the, the problem lays because then that would be telling you like where the sacred sites are. So the guys who run that company have a really good, um, working relationship with the traditional owners up there and um, have managed to put together some pretty incredible walks and um, yeah so they anyway so they carry so that you carry all your own gear um, and then you sort out all your own food but they do cook dinner at night so we all shared the load of the food and everything that went around um, but yeah and what it was, was all, it? all yeah, what was it about that trip that kind of then spurred you to do a lot more other things? Um, I it like I don't think that it would be overstating it to say that it changed my life, <laughs> because I actually could not tell you why I thought that I was going to sign up to that. Because, like I said, like I had done not even I reckon a day hike prior to that. I don't know what it was. There was just something about it that was like I'm going to do that. And so it's, so it was, it was like two weeks of, so I was like, obviously with total strangers <laughs> um, and it was, yeah, it was just the, like sleeping outside and I don't think I'd ever seen stars so clearly before because of course um, Kakadu National Park is quite a long way out of Darwin. It's not just there. It's, it's about 300 Ks, I think. And um, there's zero light pollution we saw you see like shooting stars every night um it just the change in the landscape was beautiful uh we went like swimming in water holes every day um camped on like because during the wet season they were saying I remember him saying that there was all these waterfalls but they wouldn't even be waterfalls in the wet season because you wouldn't know it was there because there's such a volume of water moving through but in the dry season there's a waterfall there but there's all this like um rock slabs so we like camped on a lot of rock slabs overnight and things like that 
But um, the landscape is just so untouched up there because the only traffic that's going through it is foot traffic. And even that foot traffic, you have to be pretty um, determined to get there sort of thing. Like they don't even allow helicopters to fly over some of those areas. So, yeah. It's such a remote experience for your first. And also two weeks is really long. Like that's a really long multi-day trip. So that's huge. And do you, I mean, you described the, the image you saw did is that was that landscape was that the driver or was there an idea of like a physical challenge you hadn't done or was it really just about being in that environment I I don't I honestly couldn't tell you it was it was like irresistible I just saw this and something in my brain was like do it (laughs) I have I I actually I just don't know I actually it's so and it really changed like the not the course of I guess like like in a way like sort of changed the course of my life um towards doing yeah so much more outdoors stuff so it was definitely it was challenging for sure um I did train before I left and by train I mean I borrowed my brother's um he had like a a, a pack and I used that and I put water bottles on and I walked around my suburban streets with that <laughs> I'm so trying to look absolutely it's specificity <laughs> training at its finest right <laughs> I don't know about yeah. like the bitumen. Uh, yeah, so good. Yeah, I, I know, like that is what I was doing. So I was just like walking on footpaths with this pack. We just had some water bottles. At least you chose something yeah. happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, like, so and good. so I, I collected all the gear before I left. I went into Kathmandu. I reckon about I don't know twenty times or something. And I like scrounged up gear because I was also a uni student. So I couldn't afford just to buy like a super fancy kit straight out the gate because I couldn't afford to. (laughs) So, yeah, I just like sort of scrimped and I like bought like, you know, like product display items and things like that before I left. And, yeah, the first day was um, a bit confronting because we were actually so you don't actually have to the walk that I want on, you don't actually have to worry about crocodiles because you you walk up into the escarpment and so they can't actually get up that far they can not the saltwater crocodiles anyway so the first day you sort of climb up this like rocky like very steep and I was climbing up this thinking oh my gosh what have I gotten myself into like I've got two weeks of this I I actually don't know how I'm going to do this I like I have the distinct memory of like looking down beside me thinking if I fall down here I'm going to die <laughs> sort of thing and then when we got into camp um I sort of very nonchalantly tried to ask the tour guide I was like oh you know so in the scheme of things like how would today's like bit of walking you know rate compared to the rest of the the rest of the two weeks and I'm sort of waiting with like holding my breath to see what he's going to say. And he's like, oh, well, that's actually one of the hardest things that we do. And I was like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> it's, I mean, that must be huge because it's day one. You know you have a lot of days ahead of you. And it's yeah. not like you can just grab an Uber out of there, right? <laughs> no. Thought, well, because there was – so at the end of the first week, we did have a food drop, which meant that some guys came in and delivered our second week of food. We didn't – yeah, so I guess, like, I could have gone out, but it still would have been a week. And other than that, I would have they would have had to have called a helicopter for me, which is really expensive. And, again, I was a uni student. There was no way I was doing that. <laughs> so, yeah, 
that was um but it was fine and then I was like okay cool and obviously over the the two weeks I you gradually first of all you get fitter over such a long trip and you just get used to it as well so yeah yeah it was quite quite an experience (laughs) huge I absolutely love it and like you say it has taken you in a different direction like I think of you and Lars being super adventurous like yeah. hiking you mentioned I think it was in the quick fire you mentioned like off track hiking in Lamington like yeah. say what yeah. like you know you've really yeah. <laughs> you've gone for it and then between mountain biking and all the riding that you do around Longreach as well it's like yeah, yeah. how how cool is that so yeah. tell us like where you are now like you're I mean we've mentioned you're in Longreach but tell us about what yeah. you're doing at the moment so it was quite funny when I, because because we actually moved out here in um the the very the start of basically like the really strictest part of lockdown. So it was in we moved in April twenty twenty, which really was like yeah the strictest part of the lockdown. I had to take a piece of paper with me showing that showing my appointment because I was an essential worker because people weren't actually allowed to even travel into the outback at that time. Like people, we weren't allowed to go anywhere, (laughs) which is quite crazy when you think about it. But um, so, yeah, so people would be like, oh, you know, can we catch up on the weekend? I'll be like, no, no, I'm in Longridge. And they didn't realise how far away it is. So Longridge is basically in the geographical centre of Queensland. So it's about 1,100 kilometres northwest of Brisbane and we're pretty much directly in line with Rocky on the coast, but we're, we're eight hours west of that. We're right on the Tropic of Capricorn, actually. So, yeah, but it's um, it's a very, so it's, it is the outback. Like, so Longreach is actually the biggest town for a fair way like until you get to emerald which is the halfway point between longreach and rocky that's a town of about seven thousand people i think but um yeah longreach is about three thousand people and we are significantly bigger than the surrounding town sort of thing so everything is about most of the towns that are sort of like they're an hour away this it's like and it's actually set up partly like that I believe because of the um old Cobb and Co stagecoaches so they sort of knew that everything so like an hour for us would have been you know it's about 100 k's is often the that's how the towns are sort of spaced out and um yeah it's very it's a lot of it's predominantly cattle around here um it used to be more sheep farming but um with the 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 region has been drought declared for the last 10 years. So, which has had quite an impact on the town and the um, economy out here. And um, yeah, so it used to be, it used to be more sheep, but they require just a little bit more maintenance and things like that. So a lot of people have gone to cattle. So, yeah. Yeah. It is hot and dry. It's it's very good to describe it. Yeah. But I when I said that, the when I said the yeah. Oh, sorry, Kristen. No, I was going to say I heard that people who do like move to Longreach generally because they're being transplanted for work or things like that. Yeah. But they end up staying much longer than anticipated because it's such a cool town that people just generally yeah. fall in love with it and then they just stick around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Did, did you it's, get relocated it's because of work. Fun. Yes. Yeah. 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 So I. Pre- Prior to this job that I had taken, I had worked across quite a few different independent schools as a like a casual music tutor. And um, when I I did an interview with Education Queensland, um, just thinking that I would take on some 
uh, like relief classroom teaching. And then they were looking at my CV and they said, oh, you're an instrumental music teacher. You should do an interview for that. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, oh, sure, why not sort of thing. So I went to the interview and they sort of said, oh, you know, would you take any um, contracts or anything? And I said, look, I can't really take any contracts because I've already got work and I can't just leave those jobs for a contract for six weeks and then and then come back to them like it just doesn't work like that obviously and then the lady who was also on my interview panel was actually the coordinator for um central queensland and she was like oh would you take a job in central queensland i was like and i sort of laughed and said oh maybe if it was you know permanent full-time anyway she actually called me a couple of weeks later and then said oh would you like a job in long reach (laughs) I had to definitely Google where that was. Yeah, I was going to say, and you hadn't even been. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I had never been. And we and we ended up moving and we didn't really have the opportunity to come and visit before I did that because of all the lockdowns and everything. So literally the first time I had set foot in Longreach, I had committed to a three-year contract wow. to live in Longreach and, and be here. <laughs> so yeah. Talk yeah, about an adventure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's like sensing a theme, just committing to something and just being like, well, I'm just going to do it. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, indeed. And you'd move from the Sunshine Coast, which is obviously where I yes. met you. Did we meet yeah. at a shop, right? Was I right in thinking I, that? And I can't remember. Yeah, I feel like I had already Instagram stalked you and I was like, oh man, this girl looks so cool. And then when I met you in real life, I feel like I was like, I'm going to play it cool. I don't want to come across as like a weird Instagram stalker. But I was like, definitely like, oh, it's a girl from Instagram. So, yeah. You're that Instagram girl. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we met at a hit bike shop, right? And so at that time you were riding your dual suspension mountain bike and we were riding single track around here. Yeah. Tell us about the mountain bike trails in Longreach, Genevieve. Um, there is none. <laughs> so last year, last year, oh, yeah, last year I did like a 50k ride, which is fairly like long ride. And I think over the course of that 50k ride, it was like 150 gate, 150 meters elevation gain. So that gives you an idea of how, yeah, how, how far. And also, I bet that was in that ridiculous like riverbed thing that you took me down that was like something from red bull rampage <laughs> oh that actually wasn't that i that this is that that's oh, just okay. like basically a dirt road that right so yeah so my mostly my my riding is predominantly around the river system so long reach is named after the long reach of the thompson <laughs> river so um yeah pre- like during the dry season i actually haven't done too much riding over the last month or so because we've had like quite a lot of rain um and all of those like dry creek beds that we rode through, are, if they're not running, they're probably quite damp. Yeah, wow. And yeah. as as you heard after your encounters with the um YouTube four drive guys, there's a lot of black soil yes. in Longreach, <laughs> which they did definitely make a thing of. But it is very real. Like it's a very sticky clay. If you misjudge it, because it gets like this crust on it, and so you think, oh, I'll just ride that's dry and then you ride through it and it's just one revolution of your wheel and it just it just stops like it's it's really hardcore (laughs) so yeah it's actually where it's actually the black soil here is actually um there's a lot of dinosaur fossils that get found here it's really ideal conditions for um i always see like cattle bones pop up like in my rides because i ride on these trails and 
you'll see it's like really this like really cracked trail and sometimes there'll be like a bone sticking out of it I'm like oh, I've discovered a new dinosaur and it's definitely not it's definitely a cow bone or something like you know or a kangaroo bone or something but I live in hope you, one day you never know that's yeah. right what yeah. transitioned you to get on your bike like has that always been something that's been part of your life or after that kakadu trip you're like all right cool I, I loved seeing things outdoors I want to see more of it what was kind of that transition um it was basically that I actually met Lars so Lars at the time was so I, we met in Brisbane so before we actually lived in Biwa we actually we actually met in Brisbane I, I was commuting to the Sunshine Coast quite regularly and Lars was looking for an outdoors retailer but um he actually I have I was like I know how to ride a bike like I wasn't starting from total scratch but basically I was <laughs> um I had I had had a bike but just like a cruiser that I rarely rode and I just it seemed very like utilitarian to me, like use it to get from one spot to another. And um, yeah, it was quite funny. Like I had actually, I had actually dated quite a few guys who were mountain bikers before I met Lars. And I was like, wow, that's weird. I'm not doing that. (laughs) But then I was sort of with Lars and he's like, oh, well, you know, you should, you should really come and do it. It'd be really fun. And of course I didn't have a bike. So um, Lars had, so Lars had just bought a new bike and so I had this old one which had been ridden by about six different people sort of thing so literally to give the village you a, bicycle <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so but it was like it's got it like had such a history so it was like this um so it was from one of his mates and Lars had sort of like fixed a few of the components and stuff but to give you a picture of which probably doesn't mean anything if you're not into bikes but it had 26 inch wheels so so yeah so everybody's pretty much riding 29 inch wheels at the moment although some trail bikers will use like those 27 and a half so these were 26 it was like an old school mountain bike so it was a dual suspension bike it was like a vt it would have back in the day it would have been a fancy bike but um, yeah, it had, it, it was like, and it was a, it was a two by like, so it had a cassette on the front and rear, um, no dropper post. I reckon it weighed about 20 kilos. Um, it was, it was an absolute unit <laughs> and not in a good way. Like it was, so I got my, actually the first trails that I rode on were at, it was in Brisbane. I wish I could ask Lars, but he's, I'm pretty sure he's asleep on the couch. Um, so it's it's a, there's a trail like out the 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 um, northern part of Brisbane, and he was like, "Oh, well, can you stand up while you're riding a bike?" And I was like, "Yeah, I can do that. That's easy." Anyway, so we took we went set out on this ride for the first time. I had gone for a ride, and there was literally like so I was riding on the just the dirt trail, and it was really wide. It was basically like a fire road, and then it got to there was like a rock. And it had maybe like a five centimeter like dip after it. And I was like, ah, no, I can't do that. <laughs> and I literally got off and walked the bike over that. <laughs> that just sounds like my normal rides. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I was like very, because I hadn't really ridden a bike really. And then so I went and did this. It was a very easy green trail, like very easy. And I was sort of, there was definitely, I don't think there was any tears involved at that point um but yeah so I was like oh my gosh this is a lot 
And so I did, I did, I actually did go back though. I did quite end up quite enjoying it despite having this really sketchy bike. And um, after about, oh, I don't know, I reckon I ran on, I reckon I went on maybe like six rides and I did, I did enjoy, I obviously did enjoy it. Cause then I was like, I'm just going to buy, I'm just going to buy myself a bike because this bike had, um, oh, that's right. So the bike, that, that bike that I had been riding was actually had been confiscated off one of Lars's friend's uncles because he had a really bad crash while he was riding it. I believe he, it basically, I believe there was like, he got slammed into a tree or something. I can't remember if a, a handlebar went into him, like impaled him, or if he slammed into a tree and that impaled him somewhere. Oh, my God. But it basically oh got confiscated off this guy and it ended up with Lars's friend and then Lars had it and then I rode it. And I was like, well, this seems like bad juju, so I'm just going to get a bike. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I, like, committed to this, like, $2,000, like, Jules has spent, which is not even that much to spend on a bike, but it was a lot for somebody who'd been on eight rides in total. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm going to buy this, I'm going to buy this bike. And then I rode it all, like, I loved it. It was so great. And then we ended up moving up to the Sunshine Coast, which, of course, um, there is a lot of trails around there. And um, I came, like, sort of fell in with their Hitbox crew. I did it. I think we did a group clinic with them. That's how we got introduced to them and um, sort of met like Jeff and that sort of thing. And then we got, that's how we got involved with them. So then proceeded, proceeded to do all the running at like Sugar Bag to Wanton, which is of course like the cream of the uh, Sunshine Coast Trails, I reckon. Um, Fernie Forest quite often. Um, we, we also lived as Sarah said in Biowa, which is like literally I could ride for two minutes and now it could be across the road and be in the forestry. And um, towards the end, like, because the lock, this lockdown occurred, um, we're obviously all trying to take very minimal risks because we're, you know, the idea is that um, we didn't want to be, you know, going to hospital unnecessarily. Uh, so at that time I started doing a lot of riding in the forestry, just on the um, fire roads in there. And I just, even though it wasn't as um, exciting or needing as many like technical skills as riding mountain bike trails, um, I still really enjoyed that so I guess that is really how that's like the link, I guess, between the writing that I'm doing now and the Sunshine Coast. Because, of course, we also went to Derby. Sarah and I both went to Derby, is, yeah. which was, yeah, which was really cool. It was awesome. And my fa- and my, my favourite ride that we did was the long one, the one that from. Oh, oh the Bay of Fires. Yeah, the Bay of Fires. And I enjoyed yeah. that because I feel like the guy, like the boys really enjoyed like the really like hardcore, like. I'm going to do sick jumps and like go really fast down the rock garden. So I'm like, oh, I just want to go on a nice journey. You know, I just want to see the landscape changing around me. So that I actually really enjoyed that most. Yeah. So not to yeah. say that it doesn't have those things. It does, but yeah. No, I think that's a really good point as well in the, that's the beauty of riding is there are so many different styles. And I know, like, I remember you on that trip having previously thought, oh, maybe I would do like some endurance and stuff. Just being like, you know what? Like that's actually not, what I want to do that's not where I find the joy so yeah it's awesome to have that and it's also it is handy for where you're living now because there's definitely no endure (laughs) where you're living yeah no definitely (laughs) (laughs) it's like I could just go there's like a few yeah there's a few like in and out of riverbeds but um even then I'm just like well this is a bit sketchy but then it's actually probably not oh in fact 
No, it can be. You had to help me get my bike out over one of the river yes. <laughs> Did you get stuck? I couldn't get it. It was so steep. I couldn't get up. <laughs> I was like sliding down and my bike was like going in a different direction. It was like fully packed as well. Or no, it wasn't. It no, I'd unpacked it. it. I'm yeah. just pathetic. <laughs> you had ridden like a couple thousand Ks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're probably probably feeling like a little bit tired, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I also, I, I have literally also been in that situation that at the bottom of that riverbed, and I'm like, well, if I don't get myself out, I guess I'll just have to live here. And I don't really fancy that. So. <laughs> <laughs> you already had the uh, experience of getting it out once. You're like, oh, we'll get it out again. Uh, don't worry. There's two of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was okay. It was okay. Yeah, I did. I did literally. I remember having a little moment where I just sat down in the bottom of that riverbed. And I was just like, what are we going to do? And I was like, well, there's no really other option than to just walk out of here. So. <laughs> And this, it, it feels remote like it's hard to picture but if you just imagine like red when I was there it was very dry so it's just like it cracked red earth and like some emus if you're lucky like that's kind of what we're talking about but that yeah. also that there's a good point there as well in that the beauty of things like that is like you have to back yourself right like that's a lesson in itself is like I am on my own and I have to back myself here so yeah. with, with that in mind, what do you reckon from that very first like adventure you went on in Kakadu to all the other stuff you've done, what have you learned about yourself from those adventures? I think it's, I, I think it's so, so funny, like, because I think I always thought of myself as not a physically capable person and, or I hadn't maybe, oh yeah, no, I just wouldn't have thought of myself as being very capable and it's um it's quite so even though I would consider it like you know intellect like musically and like intellectually and all those things there is something very um reassuring or, or something that really gives you like confidence when you know that you can physically just get yourself out of a situation so it was a set like with Kakadu it was the same like I was like well I could it's never been an option to be like, oh, well, I'll just get somebody to come and helicopter me out of here. Because there has been times where, you know, things are like definitely very hard. Like that, the first day I could do, <laughs> um, there was another another off-track walk that I did with some friends um, through uh, the back of Leamington down into the Lost World Saddle. Um, and it's, it's very, it is very, and it's like, so you come up, you actually, so you go down, so it's, it starts at Echo Point, and then you walk down, it goes down like this, the Lost World saddle. That's the second night. So you camp one night at Echo Point. Then you camp at Lost World. And then the next day you sort of walk up this valley and you have to get up a cliff break. And that actually pops you out onto the Albert River circuit um, in Lamington. So getting up that cliff break, we, of course, had like full packs on because we've been camping for a couple of nights. And that is one of the most, I reckon, that is one of the that's one of the sketchiest things I've done. That's one of the most scary things I've done because I had this big pack on and this cliff break is um, very steep. Like you're really on your hands and knees having, and you know, you're really not just, you're not walking up it. You have to climb. And it's that very beautiful, like loamy soil of Lamington, which is lovely, but it's also not ideal for getting a grip, like your feet gripping into. So at one stage, I actually... I actually, um, I lost my, I lost my footing and I actually slid a good, it feels like 
it feels like a really long way. It probably wasn't as far as I thought it was, but I felt like I slid a good like 10 metres, but it was actually probably more like five. But it was also, if I had have actually fallen any further, it actually genuinely would have been a problem because it's just like a rocky riverbed, like it's just underneath you sort of thing. So I, I did have a little cry there. Sometimes it's cathartic to do that. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to get up this. But at the same time, but then I was like, well, how else am I going to get out? I'm not waiting here for, like, somebody to come and get me. And the two, and, like, you, when you're when you're doing that sort of walking, when you're off track walking, the expectation is even though, of course, that, like, these people would help you if you were, if, if an accident happened, the expectation is really on um, self-sufficiency and being able to look after yourself. So I was like, if I, you know, I could have like broken down and been like, I can't do this. And, but the reality is the same. I was like, well, I'll never be, I'll never go with these guys again because they'll be like, well, we, you know, you can't, you can't look after yourself. So, you know, we can't take you into these situations, which is totally fair because nobody else should have to take responsibility for your safety as well. Um, so yeah I think there's a lot of it is it's and you know as I've gotten more experienced I've definitely gotten better at um taking taking calculated risks I suppose because um there's always you know the the real there is things that of course could hurt you like a couple of months ago I came across a pack of about 20 wild pigs when I was writing things like that but um it's 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 calculated and it's it's good to know that you can get yourself out of the situation if you need to and i think that most of us or actually all of us are actually much more physically capable than maybe you would give yourself credit for and you don't know that until you put yourself in a situation where you actually are challenged so yeah it's a it's a really good way to um I get it sounds strange that it would be like a good way to get self-confidence but actually it's a very affirming it's yeah very like life affirming to be like okay I'm in this I'm in this predicament but it's okay I will get myself out sort of thing and I I like your point of taking calculated risks because obviously Mm -hmm. we have to have some element of like all right there is safety here it's probably going to be okay but you could walk outside and get hit by a bus right (laughs) so everything really is a calculated risk but I think that's good for empowering does that change when you're solo versus a group it sounds like you are pretty you almost treat it like you are solo when you're in a group yeah and I think that's important because even though of course you're there's an element like my uh, my off-track navigation skills are not good so in terms of that aspect on on a, on a multi-day hike like that I'm very much relying on whoever's lead <laughs> to get us and that has uh that has you know that has not always worked out <laughs> by looking to somebody else <laughs> um there's been a few times where you think oh yeah and then but like honestly I can't can't get mad if somebody else gets us lost because well you know I I don't know any better so (laughs) just have to roll with the punches and then we'll uh we'll get out of here eventually I guess (laughs) yeah so it's um I don't think so like I I, maybe in terms of I, I guess in terms of navigation I would probably be I wouldn't I I'm I'm conscious of that aspect in terms of risk taking in my adventuring but in terms of um what I do solo versus in a group I don't 
to me, I don't think, for me, I don't really think there's that much of a difference because, like I said, like I don't think anybody else should really be responsible for my safety. I don't think I would want to put anybody else in that position and I certainly wouldn't be, want to be put in that position. Of course, like accidents might happen, in which case that's, you know, that's a different scenario, but I don't think it's okay to, yeah, put that burden on somebody else because of, you know, you, you wanting to like have a little thrill or whatever sort of thing. I think, yeah, that's, that's a really sensible, wise attitude, as it were. Like you do want to be, you, like just for yourself, like you do want to be able to look yeah. after yourself, right? You don't want to be yeah. relying on everyone else. Yeah. But there is also that conversation up front in a group adventure. Like, you know what? Mm. My nav skills are just not great. Like, can yeah. you take the lead on that? That's how it's going to play yeah. out. And I think it's about having that yeah. conversation beforehand. Obviously, like you say, it doesn't always uh, work out. We yeah. aren't perfect, but it's good to like set expectations. Lie. Yeah. <laughs> there some of the guys I was hiking with in Brisbane, I had like this crew that I actually met through uh, one of my, after I came back from Kakadu, I walked with these guys like quite a lot and they were all much older than me. They were very experienced bushwalkers. And so in saying that, I did learn a lot from them and they were very generous to um, you know, talk things through with me in terms of buying gear and, um, you know, it's like how to walk on different surfaces, which sounds so silly, but actually like when you're doing like really that really off track stuff, um, sometimes, yeah, those like old bushwalkers, like the ones that you see, like wearing like the hats and the gaiters and the long sleeve shirt, like they know what they're doing. They're like the same ones. They're, they're like the type that gave you that fruit on your trip. Yeah. Like, I remember when I showed you yeah. that picture and you're like, oh, yeah, I, I know these people. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. They can handle themselves. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. love that point, yeah. though. Like, isn't that beautiful? It is. It's an opportunity to learn. And that's mm-hmm. where community comes in as well. I mean, I know you've talked we've talked previously about that group. and you, It sounds like you went mm-hmm. on some incredible adventures. Like, I yes. haven't done any off-track stuff and I wouldn't really know where to start other than wandering off the track <laughs> yeah um, and, and, it's, and it's really tricky because it's it's a, it's a it's a, you need good navigation skills essentially in saying that like there is quite a few so um there's a that crew that I walked with they, they didn't have a name they were just I don't know they were just people my cousin knew and so I sort of fell in with them and they were sort of their fearless leader was um a, a Kiwi guy called Noel or is a Kiwi, Kiwi guy called Doll, and he would be about 75, I reckon, now, and he is, like, the fittest person I have ever met. So he he's insane. Like, he's like a mountain goat. So that, that cliff break that I was saying that we got up that day, I was I was with Noel, and um, he, had, he was six weeks out. He'd had a knee replacement, and he did this. Insane. So... <laughs> Just really hardy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, super, super. Like just that like came from like the South Island, had like the accent, like, yeah, top, top bloke. <laughs> and I think some of those off-track adventures are actually like there's a really cool community around it because if you do yes. research, it's actually very hard to find out yourself. So if you're like, cool, yeah. I'm listening to Genevieve's podcast and I really want to try doing that Lost World, there's like – 
maybe a book from 1996 and I know this because Phil has it <laughs> yeah. but very yeah. minimal online like we've been to Lamington yeah. a couple of times and he's done research and he's like okay we're gonna do the Albert Albert River um, circuit and I'm gonna try and find this cutoff and we can never find it we've done it like three times yeah. since he's researched Fine. and it's still like so if you don't know where you're going yeah it's still very hard even to do your research so I love the fact that you've got this community that can kind of show yeah. you these places because some of that off-track stuff, which is kind of why it's off-track, right? You're like, you don't want everybody yeah. to be able to find it. And I think it's cool that you have that community that showed you that. Yeah. it's, it's And, like, and I, and I guess, like, it was, like, so funny because I would put up pictures and stuff from these trips. And people would be like, oh, I just, how do you, like, and even if I was just doing an on-track, like, walk, like, you know, they're out, and I would do, and I, I used to, at one stage, I had a weekday off. I always had, I had Thursdays and Saturdays off. And so I would often go and do a hike, like, you know, a day hike somewhere on that Thursday just by myself because it was midweek, like most other people were working. And people were just like, oh, I don't know how you find all these things. So I'm like, it's just on the, I mean, the trip, the on-track walks. I'm like, it's just on the internet. Just go to the park's website and, like, look it up. <laughs> it's there for you to find. But, yeah, the off-track stuff is very much, it's very niche. But in saying that, those communities that do do it, are so happy to take new people like they don't like whinges like do not be the person that shows up and is like it's hot there's lots of flies like if you go if you turn up and do that sort of thing they they won't be impressed but if you turn up you like you know go along with the group and you like do your best like they will welcome you and they often made the comment they're like oh I wish we had more younger people because um you know they they sort of see it not dying out but, you know, those skills and the knowledge of those trails and stuff are, like, sort of, uh, I think they worry that they'll be lost. So, yeah, so it's, like, anybody who wants to do it, like, there is a, there is communities out there. I know in Brisbane there's Brisbane Bushwalkers, and they have a very, I mean, they have a very uh, structured approach to who they let on walks and things like that. But, yeah, there's definitely, if, if you put the idea out there, you'll almost be certainly find somebody who can who will like take you in and like you know show you those places sort of thing if you're genuine and yeah you you turn up and you give it a go sort of thing I love that and I really love that idea of knowledge sharing offline as it were and like handing down that information and finding those routes and them not being lost it's really special Mm -hmm. yeah that's super cool. Um, is there anything that you guys have been doing recently or anything like that you're planning for in terms of upcoming adventures? Um, we haven't. So at the moment, like we have, we've basically, we've just been in long reaches. It has been the start of the school year, which is obviously kind of quite busy. Um, as I was saying, we um, can't really do too much driving off track and stuff because it's all the river system is just it's very wet like the water table is up a bit um so we haven't been doing too much recently um although we're, it's very exciting we're about to get a new car so the um the car that we have had has is a Subaru Forester which like bless her she has been a very solid vehicle but just need something with a little bit higher clearance out here and also something that was a bit like a little bit more indestructible because we just can't drive after dark because there's just kangaroos everywhere and all that sort of thing so about to get a new car which is very exciting we're hoping that might open up a little bit more weekend adventuring because it means that we can like leave on the friday evening and go somewhere but um in terms of what's coming up i sort of 
I, I've got my eye on doing the Cancer Corumba bike ride, which is it's not a race, and it's it, it's like a stage ride, I suppose. So it's um it runs from Cancer Corumba, and uh, which is really cool because I I guess um I'd like to see some of the golf, and there's quite a few areas around here that I'd like to explore because if you're going to them from Brisbane. Most people won't go there from Brisbane because it just takes so long to get there. But because we're already in central Queensland, there's quite a few gorges and stuff around that we'd like to get to. And I'd also, yeah, like to get up into the Gulf because it's just really cool. Um, but, yeah, so that's like – so Cancer Corumba, I think it's about 800 k's or something like also. And um, it's like, yeah, it's just, it, they're actually it's – a, it's a charity ride. So it gets run um, to support Royal Flying Doctors, which, of course, um, is in here in Longreach. And they also support a lot of the small schools that are um, along the route and also the Cairns School of Distance Education. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of small schools that people don't realise how small the populations are. So one of the schools that I actually teach at out here only has six kids in it. Whoa. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think that yeah. ride, um, we interviewed Alison Piercy, Alison Wonderland. I think that ride yeah. is where she started off with her like multi day riding the Cairns to Caramba. Yeah. So have you done oh, any Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. I have to talk to her. Yeah. Have you done any multi day bike stuff or would that be your first bike thing? No, that would be the first thing. And I feel like that was a good way to ease into it because I don't own a, a whole bunch. Of, I obviously own like a whole suite of um hiking, like overnight hiking stuff. Yeah. But I don't really um, and obviously some of that would transfer to bike packing. Like I've got a, a nice light tent and a sleeping bag and all that sort of stuff. But um I don't have the the luggage that goes on the bike. I did just put a surly rack on it, which is very exciting. Um, but yeah, so I feel like that would be a good way to ease into it and see if I like the multi-day bike thing. So yeah, but in like a long-term goal, and I'd have to obviously take a lot of time off work to do it. Um, the beauty of being a teacher is that we do get great holidays, but the holidays are on when they're on. Yeah. <laughs> you don't you can't just take off in the middle of term sort of thing. Um, I'd really love to do some of the Bicentennial Trail ah, on bike. Nice. Talk yeah. about the yeah. Bicentennial Trail for those of us that might not be super into the bike. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not, it's um, not necessarily a um, – Genevieve will okay. talk about the history of it, but it's not necessarily a bike route per se. Cool. No, 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 it's not. It was actually – so the, the way I found out about it was um, it really caught my imagination. So a few years ago, I did the Overland track down in Tasmania. And on the end of it, we stayed in Derwent Bridge for a couple of days, um, which is the cradle mountain end. Yes. Yeah, I'm trying no, it's the other end. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's the end of the, it's at the end of the Overland track. And um, Derwent Bridge is a, um, there is not much going on at Derwent Bridge. And the hotel we stayed in, was a vibe it had on the it had like literal like heads of like cattle and stuff as decor in the it was a pub and a, like a gigantic like possum skin rug and all of so and and then in in the um like the common room i suppose it had all of these old magazines and by old there was literally an australian geographic magazine from the year I was like from the year and month that I was born I was like oh like let's let's see what was happening in the world like 
um, you know, in, in, in the world of adventuring in Australia. And um, in it was actually this, the, these two guys had walked in, had hiked the entirety of their bicentennial trail and also had added on a bit. So they basically went from the bottom of Victoria all the way up into the Cape of Queensland. Whoa. So it runs. Wow. Yeah, it's massive. It took them, it took them a year, I want to say. Yeah, well, it was a long time. Yeah. It was a long time. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long walk. Yeah. Yeah, it's a long walk. So it, it traverses obviously a huge amount of thing. And um, I believe it is was originally intended for horseback. Um, and there is some places that it would be logistically extremely challenging to get a bike into. But in the research that I've done, that there, there is actually a couple of bypasses of those sections now that make it more bike friendly. So I don't know. I actually met Tim. Do you know Tim Cope? No. Is it good? Oh, oh, you should read it. He wrote a really great book. Um, he, and he lived in Mongolia for a year. Cool. So, yeah, you should look him up. He's very cool. Anyway, he came, in, he came to school and did it. And I was saying, oh, I would love to bike the Bicentennial Trail. And he's like, oh, I don't think it's actually been done. So that would very much be, like, on my list of things to do when I've obviously just got a little bit more time. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> Maybe when I've built up some long service leave or something like that, you know. Certainly and how long another... would that would you be planning to take for that? Because that sounds huge. I think I th- I'd like to, I feel like you'd have to take six months sort of thing okay. in order to do it properly. And there is, a, there is bits where you can resupply in towns, I think, but obviously that would just be logistically be a thing. And I think, um, yeah, my logistic planning is good, but Lars is, I'm often the one who comes up with harebrained ideas. I'm like, we should do this. And then Lars is the one who actually makes it happen love it it's a great team totally (laughs) totally yeah I don't I don't know a huge amount about the trail but I do know quite a few people who've covered stretches of it funnily enough Tom um he's ridden part of it cool and it's again yeah it's actually an interesting one as well and that I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying that's I mean it goes across a lot of private property like landowners Mm -hmm. are involved the whole way along and you literally like purchase um what like brochure in my head is not the right but yeah you, you've got to, you have to yes yeah yeah it's like the overland like you can't just go and just walk it you have to sort of register for it and and everything like that it's got like a community that's oh, sort of attached to it and yeah. everything so i would really love to do that um i'm pretty sure I someone's just, yeah. walked it with llamas or something like there's some weird stuff that yeah yeah which you have to, you do have to be a bit unusual to do that sort of thing because most people have no desire to walk for a year. Yeah, just true. to just to, you know, I yeah, I would love, you know, and obviously, and another long term thing of, of, you know, I'm sure everybody who rides bikes and is interested in doing long distance stuff would like to do the tour divide, but um. It just, yeah, just feels like so. It just feels so distant. I know the borders are opening up now, but um. Yeah, it's 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 a tricky one. I don't, I know, you know, I, I I do obviously would like to do more traveling overseas, but I'm a big advocate for Australia. We are so lucky, even in Queensland, the um the breadth of geography and um, ecosystems and the landscape changes just so much. Like we're very lucky that you can do a lot of exploring within Queensland and see a lot of different stuff. So yeah. Totally. And you briefly touched on your, I guess, uh, adventuring relationship with your partner. So yeah. have you, do you do a lot with Lars? It sounds like you've got 
obviously you you know that you're the one with the harebrained ideas and he the one, he's the <laughs> one that puts it together. So you've obviously done a bit of traveling together, but also doing it kind of separately from him as well. So talk about that yeah. dynamic of how you guys make that work because it's also a test of the relationship <laughs> to go yeah. with your partner. <laughs> yeah. We – um. Lars, so we do do a little bit together at the moment. Lars actually has a back injury, um, which is being exacerbated at the moment. He's got some bulging discs. So obviously I'm doing a lot of riding and um, he doesn't, he can't really do that, the sort of riding that we're doing because it's just sitting in the saddle and that's quite painful for him. He did come with me once on on the style of riding that I do at here last year after I had a really bad crash and um, I actually... I don't know if I knocked myself out or if I passed out and then crashed. Anyway, I felt a bit funny about going out by myself because I was unconscious on the ground for like five minutes, which I didn't realise until I checked my Garmin data. And um, I felt a bit funny about going out by myself um, without him. And so I really wanted to get back out on the bike though because I had just got this new bike. And so he did come with me. But he hated every bit of it. Oh, well, <laughs> because of the pain, I would assume. Um, partly, and it was really cold. Like, because even though it is very hot in Longreach, it also gets very cold in winter. Yeah, so over yeah. over a couple of months, it's single digits every morning. So I think the ride that he came with me on, it was like four degrees, and it was dark. He did not enjoy it. No. <laughs> I was like, "This is great! I'm back out in the bike." Lars is like, "Oh my god, this is terrible." Yeah. But, um, yeah, he's been doing a lot of kayaking, though, because obviously we have the river here. Um, I did go with him on a, on a trip um, on, on, a, on, a, on a paddle a couple of weeks ago, and um, I'm a little bit traumatised by that. Yeah, what happened? That sounded hectic. Um, well, so at the moment, like as I was saying, the river's actually in flood, and it actually did peak a couple of weeks ago. So basically the morning that we got there, it was up quite a lot. So the the river is actually the source of all our water in town. And um, it's during when when it's not running over the weirs, it's basically a big billabong, really, because there's no current, it's not running. But um, because it's we've had so much volume of water come through, it's actually over all of the weirs at the moment. And so the current is quite strong, actually. Um, probably not if you're a hardcore, like, white water rapiding kayak person, but I'm not. So Lars is like, oh, you know, do you want to come for a paddle with us? There was a couple of friends, where there was a few friends with us from work, and I was like, yeah, 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 I'll come for a paddle, that'll be cool. He's like, oh, you know, it could be a kind of hard work because it is running at the moment, we'll eventually have to come back. And I was like, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll, it'll be cool. I Like, I don't, you know, I don't, I'll, I don't mind working. I know it'll be hard, but I'll, I'll, I'll make it work sort of thing. And um, he's like, oh, yeah, okay. He's like, have you done any kayaking? I was like, yeah, like 10 years ago. It'll be cool. Like, I feel like I'm qualified for this. <laughs> How hard could it be? <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> um, so we go down to the river and we're getting in and it's like we, we, we first went, we started at the bridge and um, we floated, we basically floated down. We didn't have to do any work. So I do think I got like let myself get lulled into a bit of a false sense of security because I'm like floating down the river and the birds are singing and it's like beautiful and green. I'm like, oh, this is so nice. I can't believe I haven't been out in the river before. This is great, Lars. Can't believe you've never taken me paddling. And then we get to basically we did a big um, circle and then so it got to the bit where then obviously we were paddling against it. <laughs> 
and then I was like oh okay <laughs> and I got through the first bit actually got over the weir like which is where I thought it would be worse but over the course we were out for about three hours I think and just over the course of that three hours we obviously were out in the peak of the river so the water literally it got faster like the current just got faster and faster as we're coming up so as I was I'm just trying I got through quite a few of them there was literally a couple of times I was like I am neither skilled nor strong enough to get this dodgy like anaconda you know it doesn't have a rudder or anything like it's fine for paddling it's just a a very small one man kayak sort of thing I was like oh my gosh (laughs) I have I don't have the skills or the fitness to get this boat through this so I did portage around a few a few things which was fine but there it got to a bit where we just had to paddle because we had to get across to the other side of the river so I was like I can't just portage I actually need to get across this bit of the river so we're trying to get across this bit of the river and I actually fell I actually well I didn't I did fall in but I actually fell in because I grabbed onto a tree and um because the current was going so fast it actually pulled it actually like went over the boat because I must have tipped it a little bit and then it actually just pulled the boat under essentially and I got tipped out. Um, so, and as I got in, I knew that the water was running fast, but when you're actually in the water and you can feel it pulling you and I was just so tired, I was like, oh no, I'm in trouble. <laughs> so I was okay. I got myself to the bank and then I was like, no more paddling. I'm just going to walk. I'm going to walk back to where we where we put in everybody's like oh that's like a long way away I was like it's about a kilometer away but that is fine yeah. I will walk I will drag the boat if I need to but I'm not getting back in the water oh my gosh so, fair yeah, yeah so Paul Lars then also had to rescue my kayak because you know couldn't really just leave it in and then the course of doing it, he also um ended up capsizing oh, yeah. oh so, my gosh yeah so it, was, it was a very adventurous paddle and Yes. So, and then when we got back, the river had actually come up about 20 centimetres over the course of that three hour sort of paddle. So it it had actually come up over the footbridge. So it was, um, it was quite an experience. I think I will go back out in the kayak again, but um, I probably need to leave it to when, in terms of taking calculated risks, (laughs) I think I probably need to leave it until it's, um, yeah, it's, uh, not flying that fast because that was definitely outside of my skill level <laughs> yeah but yeah it was, it, was, it was okay Lars was like yeah I was like I was worried for my safety and Lars was like I wasn't worried about you I knew you'd be fine so <laughs> thanks he, babe he, he, yeah so he's he, we, we actually do have a pretty good dynamic in turn that I'll be like yeah no like I'm very much like the driving force of okay we should get out and do this because um Lars will be like not decide on it what we want to do but once we're out there he's very um he's very he just loves being outside so he's always very positive and you know he's like oh and he's like loving it like every moment he's like this is so good I love being outside like this is great so we do have a like a good dynamic dynamic like that although he's not really allowed to make plans because whenever he, he makes plans it rains <laughs> So, yeah. We all have friends like that. You're like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to invite you this time. (laughs) Yeah. So the last big thing, well, it's actually quite funny. He actually went out the last weekend, just gone here, went out with a mate. He's like, oh, we're just going to camp overnight over the river. And I was like watching these storm clouds come in. 
And um, of course, it got absolutely chaotic out there. It's like thunder, lightning. I was like, oh, I hope they come back. And they did. But yeah, the last big thing that Lars planned was we went to Mount Bartlefreya for his birthday, which is the tallest peak in Queensland and it's up in Cairns. He's like, oh, let, let's climb, let's camp on Bartlefreya overnight for my 30th birthday because that'll be, you know, that'll be cool. And uh, it poured the whole time. I have never been bitten by so many leeches in my uh, life. Yuck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I can do a lot. Leeches just. <sighs> yeah. It was, it was, it, I, it was definitely type 2.55. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, 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 I hesitate because it was going to be fun, but then, of course, it rained. So it wasn't that we knew it was going to be horrible. And it wasn't horrible. It was just um, the conditions were challenging. <laughs> it's a very so, yeah. diplomatic way to say that. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, you know, like you don't want to, yeah, like it, it's cool. And, like, we're so lucky to be able to do things like that. So I'm always like, oh, I'm not going to say it was absolutely horrible because at the end of the day we're still out like, having an adventure and that's, like, something that we're really fortunate to be able to do. But, yeah, it was literally, I think I, I was sharing a tent with one of the other girls and she got up in the middle of the night and started, she was, like, told Lars that she was going to walk down the mountain because she was just so cold and wet. And um, Lars came and checked on me because I was still in the tent. And I was, I have, so my sleeping mat is like a, um, and it's an X-Ped one. Um, and it's it's not a closed cell phone one. It's actually like an air mattress, like a really lightweight air mattress. And I think I was literally floating in a pool of water in the <laughs> like tent. Like a lilo. Sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so last like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah. I had no idea what was going on. Like I didn't like the rest of the campsite was ankle deep in water. Yeah. Oh so. my gosh. <laughs> so that's also a good adventure skill is like the ability to sleep in any condition. Yeah. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, yeah, it was, it, yeah, there was like, there was a lot that went on that trip. One of the girls took like two sleeping tablets, which I wouldn't recommend. <laughs> we're like, we're like, where's, where's, where's Fran in the morning? And we're like, oh, I should go check on her. And her, she had set up in this place, and it was basically like a waterfall coming onto her tent. But she slept through the whole thing. Oh, oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, why? <laughs> yeah, so we do not condone that. No, no sleeping tablets. <laughs> Well, it is I like hearing, I mean, you've obviously been on so many different adventures and it's so cool. I do love this, the fact that you came to this later in life and that you came from such, you know, yeah. music is your thing, but then now you have this whole other aspect of life. I feel like from what you've talked about, so both with the bike trip potentially and with Kakadu, you've been really sensible in your approach of, okay, this is a new thing. So I'm going to go like on a guided trip. I'm not necessarily going to have to buy all the kit. Is there any other advice that you would have for people who haven't done any adventures like this, but would love to? I think it's a lot easier to talk yourself out of doing something than it is to talk yourself into doing something, especially when it's unfamiliar. But the reality is, is that if you take a measured approach like you'll be fine like realistically you're actually not going to put yourself in any significant danger you you may be uncomfortable sure but that's actually that's that's not a bad thing and afterwards you uh, like we all know that you have really rose-colored glasses about most things afterwards you're like that was so much fun even if at the time it wasn't 
it's it is fun in its own way <laughs> sort of thing so yeah it's like and there's communities for everything now so I, I guess it's like don't like just don't talk yourself out of it because of things that could go wrong do it find and find a community because I honestly really do feel no like feel even as even over the last like 10 years um information it's so easy to find people it's so you know there's really no excuses for saying oh but I don't know anybody well you can find them because we have Instagram like I don't know how many people I've hit up on Instagram um being like hey can you tell me about like I see a photo where like can you tell me about this and they'll either direct you to where it is or they'll tell you where you can find somebody who can tell you more and things like that so find a community um and yeah just just do it like you won't you're probably not going to regret it I would I don't know anybody who still does who does all of this adventuring sort of things and ever goes on a trip that they regret I love that yeah very good advice awesome advice yeah Yeah, yeah. indeed so I'm conscious of time wait wait you can't wrap it up yet there are eight legs ten legs that we still haven't talked about of Jen's that I really need to dive into go for it you have two dogs and a bird, which is like my dream. And Phil won't let me get a bird because he says they're too noisy and too dirty. But I love the fact that you have a bird. So tell us about your dogs, but really importantly, tell us about Lulu. <laughs> it's like so good that somebody is like people because like people are like having a bird is very divisive. People are either like, oh, my gosh, that's so cool, or they're like, no, thanks. I love, I've i never loved birds until I moved to Australia. My Aunt Laura, who, shout out if you're listening, Aunt Laura, and you figured out how to download a podcast, but she's always been really into birds, but I found them very boring in America. You know, they're, they're like really neutral colors. There's yeah, nothing yeah. super exciting. They are much prettier at singing. I'll give that to American birds. Yes. Australian birds are freaking annoying sometimes, but they're so cool. <laughs> so I love yeah. birds, like glass and the lorikeet, like everything. Ah. So again, like I appreciate this. So let's dive yeah. into it. It doesn't yeah. have to be very so, long, so, but I really want this to be oh, a topic. No, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I have a Lulu lorikeet. So she is a lorikeet. She's not a, she's not a rainbow lorikeet, though. She's a scaly-breasted lorikeet. So she is, um, she's a native bird. She's a slightly different variation to what you'd see in the wild. They're very, very bright, bright green in the wild. But um, she came, she was not, she's actually like a more of an olivey green and she's got little yellow flecks on her chest. And so um, like, she's let me just talk about it. When you got her, this is a new concept mm. to me. You know, we get puppies, <laughs> right? Of like yeah. these 10 week old puppies. Like when do yeah. you get a bird? Is it a rescue bird? Is it a bird no. that's like meant for? We, had, we, actually, we actually had a rescue lorikeet growing up and his name was Squirt. He was also Squirt. a skelly breasted lorikeet and he was just one that sort of came into our life. Um, he was a rescue bird, but Cute. she came from a, um, she was hand reared. So she came from a produce store okay. out in Brookfield, actually. Um, and she was, I think, 16 weeks when I got her. So she was a yeah. little, little tiny bit smaller than she is now, but not that much different. And she had all of her feathers and everything like that. Um but yeah, she's basically she is basically like a small velociraptor. She can be very um yeah, they're very different. Like so so the, the the way I always explain it to people about having a bird, so dogs innately want to please you, unless you're Ness, maybe, who is in it for the snacks. 
I'm watching. I'm just watching her on the camera. She's, I love I know. Sorry, she just started tearing <laughs> up the quilt. So I'm just, just dealing with that as well. Yes. Yeah. She, she's also basically a velociraptor. But, um, yeah, so my so the dog's actually scared of Lulu because people are like, oh, you know, how, do, how, do, how, does she, how does she go with the dogs? I'm like, the dogs are terrified of her. So she's a cat. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she's she's but she's very she's very small. Like, but um, anyway, so she like dogs innately want to please you. Birds do not like they are in it for like not food necessarily, but they're in it for like their own entertainment. And so, if you want them not to do something, you can't just tell them to not do it. You just have to provide a better alternative. So that's yeah. And um, look, they, she can be very noisy. She's not too bad, though. She's not as bad as, like, a really big parrot, like a cockatoo or something like that. She can be very piercing, but um, she's not too bad. But also I probably am just used to her. I, I, so, yeah. I think you are. Because when I was at your house, like, I just am not used to that. It's it's like you say, it's like, I don't know if it's a pitch or whatever. I mean, you're a music teacher. Yeah. You know, it's it's the level of the, the noise. Yeah. Yeah. And just when you least expect it as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, so she'll, she'll sort, of, sort of just be sitting there not doing anything. Yeah. And then she'll yeah. just decide that it's time to start vocalizing for whatever reason so yeah yeah they're very very divisive pets birds people are either into it or they're not she has a bit of a a funny relationship with Lars because I had her before I met Lars and um she has been known to fly onto Lars and land on his shoulder for no other reason than to bite his ear so sounds like a burden (laughs) Yeah, Actually, but like she also, <laughs> yeah, but like also her other favorite thing is if I've, if we've been away a couple of times, I've put her into boarding or whatever, or if take it that she's stayed with my parents and I come back and I'm like, Hey, Lulu, how are you? And she ignores me for a good 24 hours. She will just give me the cold shoulder, but she'll go and hang out with Lars as if to really drive the point home. So, so yeah. Funny. She, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I want they have so real... Bad real personalities and um yeah we have we have two dogs um they're like definitely not fancy purebred dogs they are townsville specials um they came through Lars's sister who was working for the rspca and so we have a dane cross called torden um he's like he's about 40 kilos he's quite tall um and he's um he's very he's very lovely he's very sweet he's extremely handsome he's the kind of dog that you walk down the street with and people like fawn over him. And then we have Miri who weighs about 75% of his body weight. So she's about 30 kilos, but she can walk underneath him and she is a nug. She is a solid unit. (laughs) She can walk. Yeah. She can walk under him, but she is very substantial in terms of muscle. So I'm thinking of like a staffy cross or something. Yeah, yeah, some a staffy cross thing. So she had Torden um came to Lars when he was like twelve weeks old or something. He was very young. Um and he's just very sweet. He's never really lived a day of hardship in his life. It, it shows. He's yeah. Um Mary actually had a very rough start in life. She really almost died from malnutrition. <laughs> but um she makes up for it now by eating lots of snacks. And uh, yeah, she's she's uh, she's very chaotic. She's a little bit of a chaos goblin, actually. She's and she's a lot more vocal than Torden. She she likes to make little. She does that staffy vocalizing thing that they do and all that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah. I think I'd take a lorikeet over a staffy Pierce. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. not, she doesn't bark. She doesn't really bark. It's unusual for her to bark at anything. But um, yeah, she's definitely. She also thinks that she is a lap dog. And she's and solid she, in your lap. <laughs> yeah, she will sit on you. She weighs like yeah, she weighs quite a lot. She's thirty kilo. It'll be really hot outside, and she's like, "I've got to, I've got to sit on you." And I'm like, "Mate, it's like." 40 degrees out what are you doing yeah <laughs> so good yeah all right have, have we had the pet chat yes are we thank good? you thank you for indulging me <laughs> <laughs> oh it's my pleasure whenever people like bring up their dogs i'm like oh now i can tell you about my dogs yeah yeah, yeah. it's mutual <laughs> <laughs> okay so we have one final question for you i know you know this is coming because you mentioned it um I used to coach a bunch of little girls mountain biking. They couldn't make it through the hour session without needing a wild wee. Genevieve, please tell us about your wildest wee. I really had to think about this. And honestly, I felt like the pressure was on because I just feel like this is such an iconic question. Um, well, you know, it, has, it is it is now. Um, so I was thinking about, and I, was, I was talking about to Lars actually, and he's like, Oh, he's like, but because I was sort of like, oh, maybe it's this one. And he's like, well, what about on Bartle Free? And actually, he's, it was pretty wild because I remember literally there was nowhere to really, like, I had to duck off the trail. But literally, as I was like there doing my business, I could see literally leeches inching towards me on the ground. That is how many there were. There were so many. And I was literally like, yeah, like, crouching down and then I could see these leeches coming towards me one like landed on my arm they were everywhere so it was pretty unpleasant but um also very memorable yeah yeah a lot of wild a lot of wildlife so yeah that's probably my wildest oh nice one (laughs) (laughs) all right well thank you so much for your time today it's been so much fun chatting to you I wish that we were in person but it's so nice to catch up and share your stories thank you yeah, well, we're definitely we'll we'll be coming down at some stage to pick, like, pick up the new car, so we'll uh, have to catch up when we come back down to Brisbane, which I'm sure will be relatively soon. Awesome! I look forward to it. Yeah. And where yeah. can people find you online, Jen? Uh, so I probably the best place to find me is um, on Instagram, which is it's Genevieve dot page, or is it just Genevieve page? All I can see you looking at your phone trying to. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's terrible. I feel like I should know that. I can include it. Oh, in yeah, it's just Genevieve. It's just Genevieve Page, all one, all one word, P A I G E. And um, I don't, I don't put a lot of photos on my feed because I have very strong like ideas about the aesthetics of my Instagram feed. Um, but I do put a lot of stories up about the dogs and the birds. So that's exciting. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Into the Wee Hours podcast. To get in touch, you can find us on Instagram at Into the Wee Hours podcast or email us at Into the Wee Hours podcast at gmail.com. On Instagram, Sarah is all the gear, nay idea, and that is N A E for all you non Scots people, and Kristen is at Kristen Vodden. To read the show notes or to listen on the website, you can visit intothewehours.com forward slash podcast. And to help support this podcast, you can also head over to our Patreon page, which is patreon.com 
forward slash into the wee hours podcast. Happy adventuring and we will talk to you next time.